Welcome to another episode of Views of the World with myself, Ashani Samon Biaou, and my co-host, Tobias, Tobias Edeman. Hello, everybody. Hi, hi, guys. As usual, every week, we bring you stories from our trips and travels around the world, encounters with new cultures. So today, it's uh, Tobias' turn to tell us about a story. I don't know what he's going to tell us today yet. Um, so we'll hear the context of uh, his travel. We hear about the story he wanted to share. And he and I are going to do some back and forth, uh, digging into it and reflecting on the significance of that cultural encounter. With that, Los Gates. Yeah, let's go. Um, yeah, basically today, uh, the story of experience I would like to share, it was a little bit triggered by you from our last uh, one I made about Saudi Arabia. It's not going to take place in Saudi Arabia, but you kind of uh, asked me whether I would be was treated differently considering my background and so forth and so forth. And a, and a nice or at least an interesting experience popped up when we spoke last time. So I, I would like to give a little bit of context before diving into this experience. So um, sure. to, to make a long story short, there's a lot I can, I can do as an introduction, but of course I want to come to this particular experience. So um, first of all, I studied in Germany and in England. Um, and uh, due to that, you know, every six months I changed locations. And I was lucky enough that sometimes the, um, the, the semester ended early in England and started late in Germany. So mm. I had sometimes a break of up to four months. Wow. And what I decided to do, uh, because I was inspired by a, a study colleague of mine, um, I was, you know, I, I did a business degree. And usually there was also internships included during the studies themselves. But I thought I would like to do something different um, during this free time, which was basically um, working in uh, development projects um, abroad. So uh, most of these programs I, I supported, I was there as a volunteer, uh, were um, working with street children or with orphanages, uh, usually where I kind of supported the teachers. And I did this in different places. I did this in Guatemala, did it in, uh, in Rwanda, in uh, Burkina Faso, Madagascar, and lastly also in Colombia. And today's story is actually going to be about uh, Burkina Faso. So the experience I had there. And um, yeah, so that's just a little bit of background. Uh, uh, actually, I took um, during this time, I had two of these voluntary opportunities to work. First, I went to Rwanda for two months. And then I went okay. to Burkina Faso for two months. And um, so... What year was this? That was 2004. Interesting. So almost, almost 20 years ago. And um, I came from Rwanda, which is an English-speaking uh, country, uh, and came to which Burkina became Faso. an English-speaking country. It used to be a French-speaking country. Yeah, but Rwanda, uh, I spoke a lot of English. I mean, I had yeah, no yeah. issues communicating. But then again, yes, you're right. Later, it, uh, it became an English-speaking, or at least you could easily um, communicate in English there. And right. then uh, Burkina Faso, which was the first time for me actually spending uh, yeah, two months, uh, a longer period of time in, in, in a French-speaking country, uh, so that was already something new for me. So it was a bit wild because, you know, it was surprising to me also coming from Rwanda. I couldn't take a direct flight to Burkina Faso. I actually mm -hmm. flew back to Europe and then took a plane uh, back down. You know, that was a lot wow. more affordable and there were more, of course, connections. So I had like 24 hours in Germany, just a quick stopover, selling hello to my parents and my family and everybody. And then I flew down to Burkina Faso. So that's a bit of... What, where I came from, what my mindset was before this project, like I said, I'd been to Guatemala and to Rwanda and now uh, Burkina Faso. And the project there is basically also just a few words about that. 
it was founded by a German, uh, a lady. Uh, she, um, she did found this a project called Ampo uh, back in uh, 1996. So uh, she actually traveled also um, to Burkina Faso and she kind of um, became aware of the um, situation with many street children. And um, she actually had a, a library, so to say, in Germany. She, she sold everything. She moved to Burkina Faso and first she had some kids living uh, in her house and she later founded a, an orphanage and this thing really grew. So I think it's a couple of hundred kids now. Uh, she's well known, Katrin Rode. Uh, she actually uh, also by the state of Germany received the highest uh, degree of honors and so forth and so forth. She's well known. So I, as usually, you know, I could also go in how I found this project and so forth and so forth. But so I, I, I got in touch with this project and asked about, you know, I wanted to support and they agreed and I flew down there. And basically my, my main task there was really to support, I would say, all the projects they were doing. They were having, um, of course, the orphanage itself. They had some uh, HIV information programs. They had a kind of a mobile cinema. They went around villages and there were many, many things they were doing. And I was really a little bit, I would say, supporting where it was needed. So right. um, had some regular tasks, of course, also supporting the, the teachers and with the kids, you know, just to, to be around. And, and then I had some uh, special tasks. And this is a little bit of the background. I, I can imagine you already have a few questions regarding this, but um, maybe I go straight to the experience um, and then we go. Yeah, let's do that. Dive a bit deeper. So again, first time for me in a French speaking environment, uh, Burkina Faso, very different from Rwanda. You know, uh, Rwanda is in the eastern part of, of Africa. Uh, Burkina Faso is in the west and it's a lot drier. So it was, you know, Rwanda is quite hilly and, and mountains, uh, you know, and jungle. And uh, Burkina Faso, and I was based in Ouagadougou, which is the capital. It was really super dry. I went, I flew there in summer and uh, yeah, I, I arrived, uh, reached the project and um, yeah, it was a, it was a completely different experience. Actually, Katrin Rode, the, 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 the woman that founded this project was not on the, on the ground by then. She was traveling. She just arrived a couple of days later, but you know, I just settled in and people uh, helped me to, to get on board easily. And I really, uh, yeah, from the start, I was involved in, in a few tasks. Actually, I was um, able to um, to convince Katrin Rode to involve me in those morning talks she had with her um, senior staff. So she had like okay. five, six guys that were usually planning the days and the weeks. And I was I wanted to participate in that. And, you know, I managed to get there. And, you know, there's a lot I can tell, talk about. But this particular experience was, for me, very surprising. I had been there for three to four weeks on the ground working, you know, okay. as I mentioned. And then Katrin asked me, like, Tobias, um, can you uh, can you join um, these two gentlemen here? Um, I said, yeah. What, what what is it about? Uh, what's what's happening? And she said, yeah, mm, there is actually there's supposed to be a donkey, a donkey on the road, blocking the road. Yeah, the donkey doesn't move. <laughs> it doesn't go back. Doesn't go forth. And it's just standing there right? in the heat. You know, it's about to whatever. You know, it doesn't move. Look, I think donkeys. You know, they can be very stubborn. And this this animal right. is standing there somewhere on the road. And and she said, yeah, these two guys they will go there. And, you know, we'll try to pick it up and bring it here. You know, it can drink and, you know, can be, you know, uh, yeah, there was nobody with the animal. A donkey rescue program. Yeah, something like that. So first of all, that is kind of a surprising task to do. <laughs> but I, I, I asked her, like, Katrin, um, what exactly, like, what do you, why, why am I needed? Like, what, what's my job there? And she said, basically, you are just there that there is a white guy and that, you know, nobody believes they are stealing the donkey. So and I was so shocked by that. I was like, 
before that, you know, I was just working alongside everybody else, like mostly local people, local staff and so forth and so forth. But she, she just said this like very standard way. And I, for me, right. it was a big surprise. I was like, what? <laughs> so we drove <laughs> over there. I was just standing there. I had nothing to do but to watch these guys, you know, get the donkey and, you know, put it on a, on a, on the back of a, of a truck and so forth and so forth. And just that moment was a big realization for myself. You know, because she explained to me, you know, if some locals would do it just by themselves, they might be fighting. You know, they, they, if, a, if a white guy is there, it apparently becomes more official you know, or less wow. likely to be um, whatever, some burglary or something like that. And for me, I, it took me a couple of days to, <laughs> to process it. Yeah, I really took some time to process that. It worked out, you know, we got the donkey. It was really like almost dying, I think, really like people hit the donkey and it was bleeding and then we, wow. you know, put it, brought it back and so forth and so forth. But that was the actual experience I wanted to share with you. I mean, uh, wow. of course, a lot of more things happened in Burkina, but that was the <laughs> last time uh, when you asked me about Saudi and, you know, different kind of treatment being uh, from the outside. Uh, and that was it. So that's my experience I wanted to share with you. This is uh, such a first surprise and so deep. Uh, in terms of both the context and the experience. So I have many questions, but let's start first with maybe sharing a bit of background about how much I know about Burkina Faso, which is not mm -hmm. much. So I've only been to Burkina Faso twice. Mm -hmm. Once to the border when I was a young, um, uh, I think primary school, you know, I, I won a prize or something. And they took us on a little excursion mm -hmm. and we went to the border and took a photo uh, went to the nearest city on the on the Burkina Faso side and came back. So mm -hmm. I have no idea about the capital city, how people live there. I remember it was dry. Mm -hmm. And Burkina Faso has a border with Benin. So that's mm -hmm. how um, we just drove there. Yeah. The second time I was on a project for Deutsche Telekom, mm -hmm. right? We had a client uh, that uh, required that we fly to Burkina Faso and meet people there and do some, um, some work. So we're staying at a nice hotel by Burkina Faso standards mm -hmm. um, and all this kind of stuff. We traveled a bit around and, uh, you know, went to get some food. So I, I could see a bit the capital city. Stuff. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so that's the background. Now, the other thing, the main thing that West, uh, West African that I remember about Burkina Faso is it used to have this president called Thomas Sankara, mm -hmm. who was a revolutionary guy who apparently managed to achieve a lot during the sort of communist revolution uh, revolution times. And I think we all remember him as the guy who managed to vaccinate, I think, millions of people in uh, just a, a couple of weeks. It was, mm -hmm. I think it's still held as an example of like uh, the, one of the fastest immunization campaigns in the world. Wow. He apparently managed to get some railway line of many hundreds of kilometers built mm -hmm. just by the locals themselves. He reduced corruption and all this. So, Burkina Faso was, in my mind, the example of that country where, you know, what good African leadership could mean, right? Mm -hmm. And afterwards, of course, there was an, a president that came that didn't seem to be viewed such uh, favorably, blessed mm -hmm. compare, and so So a bit of background uh, for all my questions. Maybe so, just one or two, just one yeah. uh, one thing that you triggered with me. There's two things that I found very interesting about Burkina and in Ouagadougou particularly. Uh, first of all, it was uh, multi-religious. 
So they right. had, you had Christians, Muslims, you had, uh, you know, and they were all living along each other quite, I mean, as far as I could tell from my experience, you know, even in this project itself, you had a, you had like kids that went praying, when prayer time was there, there were Christian kids. It was a quite mixed um, religious environment. Uh, uh, back then, at least, it was, um, well, it appeared to be uh, uh, relatively uh, stable and, and, and friendly. So that was one thing I found interesting. I had very good conversations with many of the kids and the older people also about uh, religion and so forth. And the other thing you mentioned about Ouagadougou being the capital, I just remember, you know, I flew in there and I think there was hardly any two-story buildings. I'm a little bit exaggerating, <laughs> but it felt to yeah. me really small, you know, really like, this is the capital, right? And then I once drove to the Zahel zone, you know, for a couple of days, for a week, I believe. Right. I came back and then I realized in comparison to, let's say, where other places in the region, you know, I felt like, wow, this is like multi-lane streets and so forth. And the, the city felt big. But I'm just uh, referring a little bit to uh, how different you um, perceive uh, a place, uh, yeah, in comparison to where you come from and maybe what you expect. But that's just two things you triggered when you spoke a bit about Burkina. Yeah? No, 100%. So let me jump with a few questions to your story. I think... The first one for me is what actually happened when you got there on the street? Like, did you engage with the guys who were trying to lift the um, donkey to try to understand if they understood your presence in the same way that Catherine Wooder yeah. uh, had understood it? Did you notice some people around? Maybe watching you in a, in a different way. Did anybody talk to you? In a nutshell, was Catherine Vude's hypothesis right or wrong? Yeah. That yeah, yeah. your presence so, there would yeah, help thanks, things. Thanks yeah. for the question. So um, for me, it was a very weird experience because I was, you know, you traveled on the back of the truck, right? You were not sitting right. in the truck. I was standing on the back of it. And then we drove there and there was this donkey. And then the whole you know she briefed me so i was a bit framed but i had nothing else to do so that felt very strange you know and i, I think I, <laughs> not yeah, even I, to help with lifting the donkey no no i was just to be standing there yeah that was my job yeah. uh, and that was for me even even you know not being active in the rescue whatever that was already felt weird but i think that was even part of the plan you know that i just stood there and be representative or whatever and uh, i really i, I it was weird of course, people looked, of course, people stood, and, uh, but nobody talked to me. And I was really just standing there. So the whole thing didn't take too long, I think five to 10 minutes, I guess. But um, yeah, I really had a lot going on in my mind and, and, and emotionally because, yeah, you felt kind of useless, but at right. the same time, you fulfilled some kind of purpose. And then you have, of course, you know, everything that comes with that, right? Like, yeah. I think you're doing something good in that moment because you're kind of rescuing a donkey. I hope so. And uh, <laughs> right. at the same time, it's complex because, you know, obviously, uh, given colonialism and all those uh, things uh, connected to it, you just kind of played that role. So it was weird. And I wasn't doing anything. Nobody spoke to me. The guys performed. I mean, I mean, in that part of the world, at least that I can tell you, people are kind of rough, at least in that situation, with animals. You know, it was not like with a yeah. carrot or something, they really took that <laughs> with a stick. I was pushing and, you know, I was just standing there and um, felt useless. Apparently I, I fulfilled some kind of function and then we went back and everybody was happy and that was it. And um, yeah, that's it. That's, but I really, I can't say more than that. And I was just very, you know, emotionally, um, yeah, it was touching me. It was, it was complex in my mind, but I was just standing there. Yeah. Wow. Well, I guess since there, there is, um, 
let's to say directly about this experience maybe we can reflect on um further experiences that you had in Burkina Faso mm -hmm. where maybe that uh, let's say uh benevolence toward a white person yeah. kind of came up again or yes. similar <laughs> things happened maybe we can talk about it in this context right like yeah, did you feel mm -hmm. did you feel that being white um gave you a lot more i don't know whether privilege or access or anything mm. like that mm. uh, what was the perception of the uh burkina burkina bay uh, yeah. that's the name of burkina faso people what mm -hmm. was the perception of the burkina bays of you when you maybe went into some social gatherings and things like that yeah interesting no uh, so two things there first most of my time is spent really on the grounds of this project So I wasn't really too much roaming around. I was like during day and evening, usually on the project. So I think there you had every now and then a volunteer coming. And they also had kind of a social worker from Germany. If you have in Germany back in the days, you could choose between uh, the military service and social work. And they actually uh, had the possibility for social workers to come for one year to Burkina Faso. So there was usually a guy, uh, it was usually a guy, I guess, uh, that uh, because that was compulsory for men mostly, uh, that spent a year there. So in the context of the project itself, I think people were kind of used to that. Also the kids and the staff, you know, there was one, two, three guys, you know, just helping out with stuff. That I think was um, standard. Of course, you still were not a local. So people, um, I guess they were just curious. You know? So for example, I, that was the first iPod came out and I had my music with me and I was uh, like playing some music with the kids and stuff. So there was more like joyful or let's say exploring of you know different uh, nations and different places and you just had that aspect when i moved out of uh, the project i think um i wasn't easily getting access to that um to the people let's say people were kind mm -hmm. of um sticking to themselves as far as you can tell so there was a bit of you know, uh closeness i would say um, in the evenings, I sometimes went to some, uh, 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 like a bar or something. And there also, it was kind of separated. You stuck with the mm. people you came with and it didn't really mix much. But one aspect, when you speak about privilege, which was super eye-opening for me back in those days, uh, we were invited to the German embassy and uh, to celebrate, I think it was even reunification day or something like that. Um, okay. And that was a very strange experience in the sense that, you know, when I was in the project, I was with the people, I was really like, didn't feel privileged at all. I was just a normal guy, I guess. And then I came into this uh, embassy environment and, you know, I, you have a kind of an idea how an embassy works and also maybe how local development projects work. Like I thought everything was similar to what we were doing there. And I came there and it felt like a turtle island of white people having a good time <laughs> drinking partying and i think there was also from these like more famous german let's say um development work um programs like state funded it alienated me from this from these hmm. people but it was very you know it felt like they were really there having good german salary let's say and, right. and they didn't they didn't uh, behave the way I, there was no mixing with the locals there was just germans right. with germans and you know there was kind of isolated so i you know from that experience um i really because i also at some point in my life reflected whether i should go into development work like for, okay. for real yeah and that really pushed me back a bit in that because my experience i didn't enjoy that these people as far as i could tell it's of course my personal experience not to generalize i guess but it felt very much we had two or three invitations there it felt like a really a party crowd 
that, you know, uh, uh, was not really close or connected to the country. These people were there for four to five years and then moved elsewhere. So that's just, you know, a general feeling. And I think the privilege in those uh, places, when I went there, there was the people serving food and they were locals and people driving people around were locals. But, you know, these people, to my um, feeling, didn't really mix a lot with, uh, mm. with the locals on a day-to-day -day basis. I think the project of Katrin Rode, as far as I could tell, was a bit different. And she was also, right. which I can say that I think it's not a secret, she was also a bit critical of those projects. Because, yeah, it, she funded herself through um, donations and okay. uh, funded projects. But that's it, yeah. So I think, yeah, the two points, like I mentioned, in the project, not so much, outside of the project, more difficult to connect maybe to society in large and then in these embassy environments or let's say more uh, professional development work projects uh, th that felt really like uh, yeah privileged uh, group of people let's say wow as, as you were speaking a few things came to mind so as usual when we say you know uh, if something feels surprising or sometimes maybe even unjust at first to put ourselves in the shoes of the people on the ground Mm -hmm. uh, start with a benefit of the doubt, suspending judgment, etc. So a few thoughts came to mind. The first one is, mm -hmm. as a German person in Burkina Faso, most likely one doesn't speak the language, the French language, and already that's a big barrier, right, to communication of any sort. Mm -hmm. So that maybe people feel, uh, let's say German people feel a bit lonely and uh, having opportunities to celebrate at the embassy, it gave you some sense of, okay, you know, uh, companionship, uh, something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. The other idea that came to mind, I think, was the drastic difference in levels of quality of life, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the implications of that. So if you were in Burkina Faso in those days, I can imagine that uh, the even sort of uh, professionals, the monthly salary maybe was something like, hundred dollars a month or things mm -hmm. like that right um yes. then back then already in germany i can imagine the uh monthly salary was more at least a thousand five hundred or something for a professional on that level and so from your from your the, the point of view of someone who comes from germany mm -hmm. you listen to a uh, music on an ipod right mm -hmm. the local guy he just listened to music on the radio right you want to eat proper food uh, and you don't know all the local food. So you're also trying to be cautious about quality of food. You go to a restaurant where the meal is maybe $20, mm -hmm. which is one third of a monthly salary of that guy. So of course that guy is less likely to be in that place. So what comes to mind for me is like, as we want to mix the challenges of also maintaining a certain level of quality of life that's similar to what we knew before, because can we can we fault someone for wanting to eat mm -hmm. food that they know is clean? Can we fault someone for wanting to drink water that they know is not going to make them sick? But by doing these experiences, they may be sort of move farther and farther away from the locals who cannot be in those yeah. same living areas. So, so I just wanted to share those thoughts and see if maybe you had a, a anything to add or in terms of like the benefit or the doubt aspect of why yes. didn't people mix as much, etc.? For sure. I mean, uh, for sure, you're right. There is, of course, a difference in, in, in income and I think in, in different aspects as well. And I think just l like you said, uh, those environments in this embassy parties is, of course, I think, uh, really the meaning of having a party there. Yeah? 
So I think I didn't see all these guys in day-to-day, -day, uh, let's say, uh, roles they were working in. Um, uh, so actually, I, I met one guy that I also went and, and saw a place. So that was different in a, in a sense. So I think the benefit of doubt for sure is, 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 is right here. But at the same time, I also had this feeling of, you know, people feeling superior. Those this mm. kind of superiority the way they speak about the country, you know, um, right. it's not like you um, respectfully say, uh, you know, certain things, certain observations. It's, it's a, I felt there was a kind of, um, yeah, superiority complex, let's say, or let's say knowing how things are done and maybe joking yes. about a local situation and so forth and so forth. So that is something which for me came as a surprise. Um, because, uh, like I said, I mean, I went to this project more or less. There was one, two, three of us. You know, we were uh, also in, in in comparison to the whole project, we were like hardly to see. There were hundreds right. of locals, right? But right. Um, but it was it was from that aspect for me really uh, a bit surprising. And again, these uh, uh, people, they of course they had sometimes their families with them. The kids all went to German school in in, in mm. Wagadougou, and they kind of it was a little bit similar to the Saudi experience where people, of course. For given reasons, you know, not to criticize directly, but let's say for given reasons, for security reasons and for, as you mentioned, you know, convenience and maybe uh, certain expectations about food and so forth and so forth, they cling to a certain uh, uh, environment. And I think yes. if you do change countries every five years, for example, as an embassy worker or somebody working for a project, I think you kind of get used maybe to this environment, right? You, you fly to another country, you have the infrastructure, you have the connections and you just start there. I feel I just felt uh, yeah there was a little bit different experience regarding closeness to the everyday people that at least I could see from the project I was working in but yeah benefit of doubt for sure I could not uh, generalize from the people I just met there right no I I appreciate uh, you know that that view you shared and I think it's also not um uh, surprising to hear sometimes this let's say paternalistic or superiority mm -hmm. views already in germany uh, my experience was everybody kind of thinks they know better i mean i'm generalizing obviously yeah. everybody uh, people routinely would say yeah this is how things are done look at uh, this other person did it the wrong way i know how things are done well i think there is this kind of uh, uh at least in my circles and which is very small uh, in mm. germany there was mm. this this sort of attitude a bit more i think than I see, let's say, in the U.S. among, let's say, U.S. citizens themselves, and maybe a bit more than I see in France. So I think mm -hmm. there, there is this notion that there is a right way to do things mm -hmm. and there is a wrong way to do things in Germany. And then one then says, oh, of course, I know the right way. So I can imagine that if you go as a German to someone to some place like Burkina Faso where mm -hmm. uh, they don't have the right technologies and all these things, of course, then you think, oh my God, this is a plenty of opportunities for me to say, here is the right way to do things, here is the wrong way to do things. But I wanted to reflect on this, um, let's say, feeling of superiority and where, kind of where it came from. Of course, colonialism, you know, created, and slavery before it, I guess, created contexts where, you know, one could think, yeah, this country, it belongs to us, huh? Like, mm -hmm. let's say if you're a French person, you're like, yeah, this country, we control it kind of. Mm -hmm. So for several decades, that puts in one's mind something about, okay, the people who are there, that cannot be exactly the same as us. And the story I wanted to offer, uh, maybe I'll do an episode about it some other days, the mm -hmm. reverse, right? 
So when I, as a Deutsche Telekom worker, mm-hmm. went back to Burkina Faso to do a project, mm-hmm. um, there, there, were instant, there were two types of uh, feelings that, that I, I experienced with the people there. Mm-hmm. One was a bit of pride of like, oh, okay, now we're talking to, to other black folks who, you know, they're on the same level as uh, the, the experts, uh, white experts that used to come here. Mm-hmm. That's one side that I think sometimes people will even sort of mention it. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, great. I feel like we feel like we can relate more, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Then there was a telecom especially. Yeah. It's a very German company as well. Yeah. 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 But but I think something about not feeling uh, maybe intimidated or something like that. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. where it comes from. But there was a second feeling also, which was, well, you know, you are black like me. How can I trust what you're saying? (laughs) You know, maybe bring me, you know, come with your colleague. the white uh, colleague, if yeah. you two are saying the same thing, then I can trust. So that it was funny true. to me to see these two sort of aspects. And of course, it wasn't always like in your face that people would say, yeah, yeah. but you can see and sense in small things. So yeah. this brings back um, a question to me mm-hmm. related to your, your point about um, the perception of like expertise. I think mm-hmm. it's both ways. So you have maybe the feeling of superiority from some of the workers, uh, some of the Western um, workers there. But I think one has also to talk about, there's a perception also that, quote unquote, the white man knows better mm-hmm. from the local, from many of the locals. So mm-hmm. I think it's a two-way street that feeds itself. Yeah, for when, sure. When someone, someone landed on a plane, uh, someone landed, landed with the plane, uh, you are booking a Burkina Bay, you, you are fascinated by the plane. You, you have mm-hmm. no idea how even the plane is made. Mm-hmm. When the person says, okay, US, the US or Europe is this way, that way. Mm-hmm. And you know, you have nothing similar to that in your country. There is a perception, which one can maybe also understand that these guys, they, may, they must know a lot that we don't know. So maybe they're in some way superior. So yeah. anyway, I wanted to bring that view that, you know, as much as there could be some feeling of superiority from the other side. Maybe there's also a feeling of inferiority. Yeah, for sure. I think it totally resonates with me. I mean, there can be also, I mean, in the sense of, let's say, a level of education or other aspects, like I said, like uh, socioeconomic uh, status and all these things. I mean, let's maybe coming back to the story uh, a little Mm -hmm. bit. Um, Of course, I mean, the, the intention there was to say, or let's say assuming a white guy wouldn't steal a donkey there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, that, was, that was the assumption, right? And I think, right. I mean, yeah. And that, and that maybe if a white guy is next to a donkey, whatever is being done to that donkey is positive. Yeah. So then yeah. maybe to quote unquote whitewash exactly. the intentions of the black guys as well. Yes, right? yes, yes, for sure, for sure. And I think, I mean, it, I think it made sense in that context to do it that way. You know, to avoid uh, conflicts or maybe uh, because the intentions were good, but of course that's not visible to the uh, to everybody. If Justin car stops by and, and, and grabs an animal and, and drives off, right? So <laughs> this it it makes sense in the context. And as you mentioned, there's both sides: there's superiority and inferiority complexes, I guess. And in some areas, you know, of course, uh, uh, in certain areas you have uh, expertise and you have maybe um, certain strengths and so forth and right. so forth. But it was just for me a very personal experience and. Um, 
One that I think I uh, thought about later in different travels and different experiences because um, I actually also met a friend in America and she's from Korea and she once told me, you don't really know what it means to be a white man from Germany traveling the world. Yeah. And, and mm. I think she hit a nail there because I, I think I really didn't know that, but she, you know, you mean, maybe you can explain a bit more. Yeah, yeah. I can do that. Like the, the privileges that come with it. So mm, she was American, but she was uh, Asian looking. She was, uh, her, her, her parents came from Korea and she was female. And, and so she just gave me that feedback saying, you know, you don't know what all the privileges are that you enjoy in everyday life when you travel, for example. Interesting. Uh, and it really, I think you the nail there. I mean, mm. I think I'm kind of open-minded and so forth and so forth, but of course, I I didn't know. I didn't know. I maybe still don't know today, but I think it was for me uh, a little bit of an eye-opening experience because we talked about it a lot and, and it made me reflect. And this experience as well with some others, of course, um, they, they, yeah, make you think sometimes um, wow. how you're perceived and how you, you know, uh, maybe you are privileged in, in many ways and so forth and so forth. I think this is a topic we can cover in a, in a, in a higher episode. It, I was going to say, <laughs> no, I was going to say, I think even this Burkina Faso story, Maybe yeah. there, there should be a part one and part two mm -hmm. where we can de dive a little deeper into the various, um, let's say, interpretations and things like that. But mm -hmm. I wanted to get a chance to ask you before mm -hmm. we close here, um, what learnings did you take from this experience and what did you do differently either back home or in your other travels as a result of just this general awareness about um there being a feeling of either black inferiority or white superiority. Yeah, I think um, we a little bit touched upon it, but really um, understanding in any kind of context could be, you know, business context could be private context, but just what also what we talked about last time, what people attribute to yourself, mm -hmm. the way you speak, the way you look and, and what effect that can have. And I think just being aware of it and being, um, Uh, yeah, I think awareness is already the right uh, the right term here. Trying to see yourself from the outside as well, how you are being perceived to either you know uh, reduce that perception, which might be uh, uh, not the right perception, at least how you see yourself, you know. So that that let's say awareness, and then also acting up on it. Yeah, maybe um, it can. It's not just for me personally. I think for any any person that applies, right? How does the environment see me here? You know, mm. may you be white, may you be black, may you be short or tall or whatever, you know, any mm. uh, obvious appearances, but also you're coming from, let's say, uh, nowadays, yeah, if you come from Russia, yeah, I just met a guy from Russia <laughs> right. the other day. Actually, yeah, I met a guy in, from Russia and we had a nice conversation and he was kind of, let's say, shy of saying that he's from Russia in the given circumstances. And, you know, again he already anticipated a lot what that implied right and right. i was you know talking to the guy and and wanting to know you know who he was and so forth and so forth but again there's so much that uh, people usually attribute to your appearance to your um background to your language and that i think being aware of that helps yourself to influence mm. how you want to be seen and to also be sensitive about that not forget how you are perceived even though you might have a totally different opinion about yourself or maybe not right but just awareness you know that uh, that plays a role in business in private life and just having this uh, sensitivity about it that i think is maybe my, my major learning wow now this is such a interesting and powerful story there i'm still digesting it 
and there are so many different angles that you know we can explore. So I think maybe we can discuss how to to tackle these angles. I think first the the development world, the development aid, the work world, it's mm-hmm. so complex. Yes. Then second, the um, let's say paternalism or uh, superiority complex and all these things uh, that comes with uh, being white or being Western, etc. Mm-hmm. And to your point, there are many hierarchy hierarchies mm-hmm. there, right? There is Western, but within that, there is also white over, mm-hmm. let's say, Asian, Western, uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. Then the, the third thing is the inferiority mm-hmm. piece as well that comes from just being, let's say, someone who was colonized before or whose countries mm-hmm. were, was colonized before. And maybe you've also internalized a number of things about what the capabilities of the yes. well, Westerner uh, are. And last one I wanted to say, just in general, um, bringing together people with very different uh, standards of living or, mm-hmm. you know, let's say financial capabilities, etc. Mm-hmm. How do those people interact, right? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. some of that has can can be used to explain sometimes things like apartheid, um, yeah. things like different religions. Um, mm-hmm. And you mentioned something very interesting about, uh, you know, how religion became such a polarizing thing now. When mm-hmm. I was growing up in Benin, mm-hmm. not so nothing, no such thing. My mom is Muslim, my dad mm-hmm. is Christian, mm-hmm. and it was seen more religions were seen more as a cultural thing. Not yeah. so much an identity, yes. a deep identity thing. It was more like, oh, yeah, we go to church every Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, these ones go to pray in a mosque. Right. But life goes on. So anyway, so I think there are so many different angles there. Yeah. Maybe we should think about doing a, a thematic uh, podcast where we can tackle each of the angles separately. I don't sounds know. good. Sounds good. I think lots of those that you just mentioned, uh, yeah, they are worthwhile speaking about uh, in more detail. And yeah, this uh, multi-religious environment for me, it was in Burkina Faso for sure. It was it felt very enriching, yeah, because you had all mm. these different influences, different um, yeah. But we will dive into that, I think, in a later episode. But uh, I already, unfortunately, we are at the end for today. It was again very much a pleasure talking to you. I mean, such a small story can bring so many insights, I guess, and that's I guess why we do this. And yeah, enjoyed it very much and look forward to our next one uh, in, a, in a short time. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.